his tea, I've got his tea and his toast. Right, I'll get up. I'll get the Are you up, kid? Uh, enter. Okay, I've got you some tea and toast, mate. You, you okay? Oh, How are you feeling? Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, you I've t- signed me will and everything, and I've left you all, all my stuff. Oh, cheers, oh. kid. You look shocky, mate. Do you want me to ring? Um, you, shall I get Robo Pete to get Doctor over her up? No, no. I, I, I reckon I'll be all right. I'll pull through, man. I'll, I'll, yeah. I think I might just pull through. What will you put your feet on? What the fucker? What? They're all bottled. They're all wine bottles. You pissed off. I've been caught out, yeah. I've been on sesh. You mucky little layabout. You've just been supping. I thought you were at death's door. Oh, well, I'm really sorry, kid. I feel a bit rough as assholes, to be <laughs> honest. Oh, here, get your tea and have a munch of toast. Okay. Yeah, let's have some of that tea. I'm about... <sighs> oh, what his bloody fair dancing on tongue is that? <laughs> no wonder. You can see it's like a sponge or something. It's your tongue, I can see it. Jeez. Oh, give us a slice of that toast. Is it salty butter? It's oh, nice aye, salty yeah, butter. salty yeah. butter. Um, How much did you oh. sup, you animal? It's not. It's, it, it were a bad pint. That's what I think it was. Yeah, bad <laughs> several fucking hundred pints. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, look, I'm going to have to make it up to you, aren't I? Yeah, if you don't mind, I've been cleaning oh. everything. I've mopped all stairs down. And you've been oh. lolloping in bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell you what. Like, what we need, what we need is a, is a big dose of crack and cove, don't we? Ooh. That's what we need. Have you been? You're not I... just drinking. Have you been casting? Well, I thought while I've been drinking, I did a bit of casting at the same time. So. <laughs> oh, good lad. I might be letting <laughs> well, you off here, a... son. <laughs> Let's introduce ourselves. I'm the messy one. I'm Matt, <laughs> and I'm the sober one, Benny. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Crack and Cove. It's a podcast that shines a beacon onto the bazaar. Ooh, I can't wait. I didn't even know. Lovely. What have we got? <laughs> right. Well, tell you what. You get yourself settled down there. Get yourself yeah. nice and comfy. Let me open a hey, window a minute. Yourself... Wait up. Just let me open a window. Uh, yeah. Fucking onks in here. <laughs> <laughs> That's better. Full of that, boozy farts. Ain't it? That's better. Nice salty air coming in, all clean, beautiful. It's a nice day out there as well. It's not it's choppy, but nice. I might, I might, might, I might get out a bit later on. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like because it, it's, it's it's needed, isn't it? Really? But yeah, you well, do well, need to get up. Yeah, well, you don't know what you find when you get outside. You see, that's the thing, isn't it? Mm. You, know, you get out and you there's all sorts of mysteries out there. <laughs> and something there's there's a bloke here. 
and he's been uncovering some wonderful mysteries. Oh, nice. And yeah, so this is this is a story of a real life Indiana Jones. <laughs> oh, sweet! I wanted yeah. to be indie so bad when I was a kid, man. Yeah, and he claims discovery of a hundred million pound Knights Templar treasure trove. Oh shit! Yeah. Yeah. So here we go. Let's have this story here. It says he doesn't crack a whip, and a twenty-ton ball does not hurtle towards <laughs> him inside a tomb. But Hamilton White does have a fedora hat and something Indiana Jones could only dream of. A hundred million pound treasure trove dating back to the 1200s. Wow. Say his name again. That's such a cool name. Hamilton White. (laughs) Yes. Sweet. The antiquities hunter has spent ten years putting together more than hundred pieces from a collection believed to have belonged to the Knights Templar. It includes a libation cup. I think that's just like a big wine goblet. Yeah. It's um, There's a sword bearing three Templar crosses. There's a helmet and an obsidian chalice. What's one of them? Well, obsidian is like a volcanic glass, a very black piece. It, you, you, oh, you can use shards of... Yeah. I've seen I think, shards I of it, yeah. yeah. It's a volcanic glass, and so it's stone or sand, is it? Maybe sand has got so hot. Well, it... it uh, it's a silicate, I think. I believe. You know, it's, it's been it has been sort of sand that's been cooked so much it's turned to glass. Wow! And I do believe the American Indians, the uh, Native Americans, uh, they use, used to use it as arrowheads sometimes yeah, when they found it. Yeah, I think because it, it was so sharp. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So a goblet made out of that stuff. A goblet made from obsidian. <laughs> so. White and his fellow hunter Carl Cookson believe the horde could even reshape our view of the Templars. So White, 49, said, Everybody has been looking for these for 800 years, so they're bound to be controversial. People want to know how we've gone. And I have to admit, I do as well, to be honest. <laughs> I do. I think where and when and how has he found all this? Yeah, well, he's, he's claiming that the items could rewrite Templar history. They prove that ceremonies certainly existed. There were rumours that these mixing vessels were used to mix psychotropic drugs. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. So these these knights were all off the tits on flipping LSD by the looks of so things. Is that you know? what psychotropic is like LSD? And yeah, stuff? LSD. Yeah, LSD is a psychotropic. Yeah, and a lot of the you know like your mushrooms, magic mushrooms is psychotropic. Yeah, all that sort yeah. of malarkey. Yeah, they believe the sword belonged to the Grand Master from twelve ninety one. So Grand Master of the Knights Temple, <laughs> wagging that round, weaselled off his tits on LSD. Oh, <laughs> steady boy, steady. Yeah. <laughs> so. The Order of the Knights Templar was founded in the 12th century to protect Christian pilgrims visiting the Holy Land. It was Europe's biggest standing army since the Roman Empire, but within 200 years it had disappeared. The 15th century Rosslyn Chapel in Midlothian has long been connected with the Knights Templar and the Holy Grail and Freemasonry. Yeah, yeah. And it even appeared in. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen the Da Vinci Code. Yeah, I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember it. I mean, it, does, it seems a fascinating chapel, though. You know, at least that's brought it to the world's attention. You know, what an odd place yeah. it is because, like, the symbolism on it and that is just mental, isn't it? It's cool. Yeah, I, I've not been yet, but I'm yeah. dying to go yeah, there. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah. Oh, not not because of the Da Vinci Code, because I think that's a pile of wank. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, no Templar artifacts have been found until now. None, right? Yeah. So Hamilton and Cookson have been working to check the authenticity of their hall and chart the history behind it. The collection was unearthed in the 1960s when treasure hunters stumbled across the items at a site of, te- of a Templar's base in Portugal. Right. 
Not knowing what they were, the items were sold to, to dealers across the world. So this hoard was broken up, right? Mm. So Hamilton said that they must not have realised the value and sold the items piece by piece. And he spent the last 10 years carefully tracking down each item and putting the hoard back together. Wow, he must have some serious cash. Well, that's the thing, you see. It's so valuable that it's impossible to insure, and he's had to hide it in a secret location. Now, if you want, do you want to have a look what uh, oh, what Hamilton White looks like? Yeah, if you look at the guy with the Indiana Jones hat, right? <laughs> Oh, come on, boys. You don't wear... Look at the leather. Look how much leather they got on. Oh, they think they're the boys, don't they? Sucking guts in a bit, aren't they? Like, yeah. They really do. I'm the real Indiana Jones. I'm the real Indy. Yeah, that's (laughs) it. Oh, bless them. I bet they got motorbikes. I bet they got, like, some chopper. I bet they have, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the, so the girls on here, right? So others have been uh, keen to put numbers on it, but they might they may be right to suggest it's north of the hundred million pound mark. So that's what they're reckoning. I'm not so sure. Mate, but... I'm smelling a rat right from the beginning of this. I think they're full of shit. But please tell me it's true because I want it to be true. Yeah, well, a, a tiny 13th century painting in France uh, recently made more than twenty million pounds, right? Wow! And that was a single early medieval item, and we've got hundreds, a uh, hundred of these, the same, wow. and many more, far more significant than this French find. And since anyway, they're not for sale. The claim, mm. right? So it's Hamilton and his mate with the leather on there, right? <laughs> he's he's the, he's a property millionaire called Cookson. Right. And they met while living in Monaco and set their sights on the Templar Cachet. White, who hails from the Midlands... <laughs> <laughs> Romantic. <laughs> ...was fascinated that Cookson owned, owned a former Knights Templar property in Aubeterre in France. Ah. And he said, it started our voyage of discovery. So I th- what do you think? Do you think it's uh, do you think it's true? I th- I, there's just bits to it I don't like. One, it's like you know, if he said recently and he's dug it up, or, or, or proper said, oh shit. But you kind of make the only valid bit to it is it's from the 1960s, and it's you know it seems like there's records of all this sort of stuff. There's just something dodgy about it. One, how they dress it, and that's well dodgy. And second, yeah. it just don't there's something don't ring true about it. Is it? But. Big swords and you know rare goblets and yeah. that. There might be some, but where they're getting the brass? I know property developers are kind of like you. You get a bit of cash from it, but you're not like tracking well, down. I think, buying. I think this guy's really made millions. I think the, the I think Cookson's the actual. I think he's the money pit. Right, kind of thing, yeah, you know, yeah. he's a cash cow and all this. Mm. I have a feeling that old uh, Hamilton White might be kind of tapping him up a bit. That's mm, what my opinion is. Yeah. You know. And so it says, White and Cookson's journey took them across Europe from London through Paris, Portugal, and on to the Templars' headquarters in Jerusalem. The Templars were outlawed in 1307 after being accused of heresy, denying Christ, and worshipping false idols. But the treasures are believed to have been grabbed by knights who managed to escape. So White is saying, right, he says, the chalice is made from volcanic glass. Could it represent... The Holy Grail. Wow. Mm. And on the, the marble libation, which is that, that drinking cup, it says there are strange heads. Could they be like the false idols that the Templars worshipped? Because mm. I thought that were a bit of our shit. Cause weren't they like the first banks, weren't they? Literally, like, you were going for pilgrimage. And he said, yes, right, I've yes. got millions in my 
I don't I'm going to carry it with me because I'm just going to get beaten to shit on some dusty road somewhere. Um, and you know, like had a token or a word or something, and he used to say it in Jerusalem when he got there, he's like, yep, your transfer's done, your money's in England, but we'll give you money in Jerusalem, I'll say. That's right, and yes. Didn't they, yes. They, kind of, they own that much. Want that? Is it a French king? They, they owed him, that French king owed the Templars millions, and he just kind of thought, you know what, I'm not paying them. I'm just going to say that they're like worshipping devil and that. Is that right? That's the kind of that is absolutely true. That's the, you, you've nailed it. Yeah. Um, he just decided what's the best way to sort of like if, if you owe somebody millions, what's the best way to sort of like wipe off that debt? Yeah, yeah, is yeah. wipe off the planet who you you owe them those millions to. Mm, it's pretty bit, bit shrewd, isn't it? <laughs> you know what I mean? But well, I, it is, but it's also it shows how ruthless somebody has to be to do that. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's bloody hell! But and it's well, like when I thought the uh, I thought the Knights Templar were pretty amazing, yeah. but I'm, I I know that we're accused of. Absolutely hideous war crimes as well. You know mm. the idea of actually storming all the way to Jerusalem to kill all the Muslims. Yeah, yeah. he's like, come on, mate, yeah. that's not on. It's dark, yeah. isn't it? It's proper insane. You know, you kind of look at the romantic vision of them, don't you? And they got a pretty fancy rig they went with, didn't they? But you're right. I think it was that bit, bit just slaughtering, wasn't they? They're yeah. just like warmongers, really, weren't they? Uh, but yeah. I think the, the, there's a lot of ritual involved in them as well, isn't there? You know, I mean, they were all like. I wouldn't be surprised if they were doing a bit, something a bit dodgy, in, you know, in the temples and stuff. Yeah, well, I, this is the thing. You see, there's, it's a, the, I think one of the weirdest, strangest mysteries of all time ever. Mm. But apparently, there is a TV show on about. It. It's called the. These two guys are going to appear on this TV show. It's called. It's on the History Channel, and it's called Lost Relics of the Knights Templar. Mm. So maybe we'll have a little look there and let's see if these two are a true or false. Yeah, let's yeah. see if that vrai or faux, That's as it is it, in yeah. French. It's a total, it, the thing is. <laughs> Templar though it's a can of worms in it you open that and you could just deep dive forever couldn't you there's that much information so it's kind of 50 50 yes someone could turn up or if you want to skank someone or you know start doing a bit of a, yeah. uh, the long con with someone it's a great topic to get into isn't it really yeah I totally agree so we're going from some real life nights now uh, to somebody who's not surreal but looks the part, oh. right? So here's a headline from the uh, Lad Bible by Claire Reed, and it says, Armed police confront man dressed as knight carrying toy sword. <laughs> toy <Yep>. sword. <laughs> so armed police in Wales confronted a man who was out for his daily exercise <laughs> while dressed like a knight and carrying a sword. Not something you see every day, to be fair. Right? So police were called to the scene after concerned passers-by saw the man going out for a walk while carrying a whopping three-foot blade. Jeez, <laughs> oh, is it a toy or a replica? I hope it's a plastic one. Well, you, you talk about like seeing somebody dressed as a knight, right? And you sort of think to yourself, oh, well, that'll be a bit poncy. But if you have a look on this piece of paper, right? I think, it, is it? You can Ooh. see a lot there. <laughs> he's a bit, he's a bit it Jedi. It looks a bit Game of Thrones, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I don't know if he's more Jedi than knight, really. It looks a bit spacey well, there. The, the look on his face there looks like he's ready to take the police on, if you ask me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's a bit of a standoff. He's put his hood up into the one. Yeah, and you can see coppers having a nice laugh with him, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> he looks a bit shamed, doesn't he? He's put his hood up like, yeah, oh, shit, don't take no photos, please. Yeah. <laughs> it says, so three armed cops swooped in and surrounded the fella before discovering the sword was a fake and he was just in fancy dress. <laughs> oh, God. Eyewitness Mike James, 31, was walking around Hendry Lake in St. Melon's, Cardiff, with his family when he saw the bizarre incident unfold. <laughs> and he said, the whole thing was really surreal. It looked something like out of Assassin's Creed. <laughs> <laughs> we saw this guy walking around in this knight's outfit and carrying a sword. I thought, that's a bit weird, but I thought he must be an actor or something. So I didn't think much of it. <laughs> Can you imagine that? So luckily Mike had a camera on him, so he, he managed to get a few pictures of the Glad night, he did know. take some snaps. Yeah. What's this dude thinking? Middle of lockdown, right, I'll get on my night's git. It's that wandering Well, what it is, you see, is um, so uh, it, the police ordered him to put the sword down and then they confronted him. They had a chat with him for a couple of minutes and apparently the guy told him he was trying out a new outfit and he was walking around the lake to get used to the weight of all the armour. So the armed police were as good as gold and eat gold and even had a picture with him afterwards before letting him go on his way. <laughs> so is that pro- under that cloak and that? Is that proper like metal armour he's got on and stuff? Yeah, he's, he's all real armour. He's got chainmail, the whole lot. You know what I mean? It's the full shooting match. Oh, look at him compared to cops, though. He's only a wee one, isn't he? He's only right little. <laughs> yeah, he, he looks a bit like that Joffrey off Game of Thrones. Doesn't he? Yeah, I've never watched it, actually. He looks oh, like, you know? oh, it's good. He looks like Phoebe's brother or friends, if you ask me. You know what I mean? He's <laughs> well, it's all turned out right. I'm glad the police didn't shoot him. It'd be funny um, if they tasered him, though, wouldn't it, with all that metal on him? <laughs> the thing is, you see, you're out and about. Um, just like this guy was in his armour and he's having a lot of fun and just getting his daily exercise, you don't really know what you're going to find, do you? Mm-hmm. You know, you could unearth anything. True. And, you know, you've got these urban explorers and stuff now, don't you? Yeah, going yeah, out yeah. and about and finding things, you know? So we've got one here from a Grimsby Explorer uncovers disturbing abandoned sex huts in yeah. the woods. Oh, jeez. They call, them, they call them nests or something, don't they, these things? What? Yeah, you know... Do you know about these yeah, things? Yeah, well, down there, there's some woods quite... There's a few miles away from Kraken, where, uh, where I used to work, and it's a bit of a dodgy woods. It's a bit of a hang-round for certain gentlemen to meet other gentlemen. But oh, it ended dear. up through the daytime, though, these big things about these uncovering the nests... And it were about pedos that kind of like make a nest in these woodlands, and they've got all little camped out, and they've got like little peaky holes, and they're like peeking at kids through the little branches oh, and stuff. I don't know, they're trying to entice God. them in bag of boil sweets and old classics, but yeah, they were, oh, they were, they were about word. 10 years ago, they were like a big thing about police going in and breaking these nests up. <laughs> like, oh. <"Whoa." laughs> well, maybe that's what this is. Let's, let's have a little dive into this This story. By, this is by Sam Atkin for Grimsby Live. God. So. An abandoned hut kitted out to look like female reproductive organs has been uncovered in the woods near Market Raisin by a Grimsby explorer who thinks it was used for a sex rave. (laughs) Steve Gray, who makes YouTube videos looking for abandoned places under the name of Stee G (laughs) on the platform, uncovered the baffling sex hut after visiting the woods between Market Raisin and Castor. (laughs) (laughs) I can't get this yet. It looks like. Well, have a little look. I don't have a little look. Is it safe? I don't really want to look at it. 
It's a, it's what's the bottom. You can see the inside Ooh. of the sex. <laughs> so you, what do you do? Crawl through that orifice to get into it? As I'm looking at like a I pink hole. So. Oh, it just looks horrible. It's so sordid. You can just imagine the smell, can't yeah. you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Steve Grace, or Steve G, he said he was just visiting the woods and didn't expect to find it. Of course he wouldn't. You wouldn't think, <laughs> I'd go in these woods and see there's a fucking sex shed in there. Right? <laughs> and he said it's the strangest place he's found so far. And it got weirder. Oh, After Steve discovered a leaflet with some questionable phrases on it and images of families, as well as finding mannequins covered in what looks like blood and children's toys. Oh my god, what a fucking mix that is. Christ yeah. almighty. The leaflet titled Muddled Marauders suggested that the hut may once have been a venue for a sex party. And as you can see below, listed on the leaflet was a giant vagina, plenty of womb for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, this is dark. Oh, look at the mannequins, yeah? Yeah. So the hut is also scattered with a variety of items that look like they've been left there, including parts of a bathroom. So Steve, who films himself exploring abandoned buildings, said he'd never come across a find like it before. In the video, he's visibly shocked by the hut, calling it a messed up place and saying, I really don't understand it. <laughs> I think I need to see these. Yeah. Blinking just take, like, huh? yeah. I think we need to find this actually on YouTube. But, uh, but it takes him a while to realise what the inside of the place is meant to be. And then he says, this is the womb. We are inside the womb. And after doing some research, Steve says he thinks he's cracked the mystery of the sex hut. (laughs) He says, I found out there was some sort of odd sex rave that happened in 2018 in these woods, and this was what was left behind. He says, I've never heard of things like this. Maybe it's a common thing. Who knows? I'm still not quite sure what to make of it. I didn't expect to be walking into a womb. Oh, my God. But what's sexy about a womb, you know what I mean? There's no sexy about raving and having sex inside a womb. It's wrong. (laughs) It is really wrong, and I don't like it, and I think it's fucked up. It is. That's a dark world, there. In the middle of the woods, and you've got, like, a lot of mannequins with blood on and kids' toys, and, oh, wow. But it's worrying the sort of, like, it's the sort of women who be... I can understand men being that sort of thing, because men are horrible. Men are animals, aren't they? But, you know, what sort of woman goes, right, we're going out this weekend, uh, Tony, Uh, and we're off into the woods to have sex in in, in, in a sex shed. This looks like a womb. (laughs) <laughs> you take any woman into that and they lose their shit. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> they're just like saying, "Oh, do you fancy walking woods, love?" You know what I mean? Oh, what's yeah. that over there? Right, get it. Surprise! <laughs> 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 music starts. And <laughs> oh, look what I made you love. Do you like it? Oh, stop crying. There's no need for that. <laughs> God, it's straight Blair Witch, and it's like some porno Blair Witch thing or something. God, <laughs> nasty. <laughs> I know, if you go down into the woods today. Correspondence, you see, down the coast. Oh, we've had a, f- a few little letters and stuff, so I thought we'd cover a few things here. That's all right. With yeah, you. yeah. So um, I've just had somebody. We've had somebody asking. You see, they're quite impressed by our, our theme music. They really liked it, uh, and um, 
So I just thought I'd cover a little bit of history about what the music is, you see. And it's by a, an artist called Tristan Lohengrin. And he's a Frenchman. He's a French chap. And all this was, it's just a, a little accordion um, so improvisation, it's called. He just basically got his accordion, had a bit of a play with it, recorded the results, and he just popped it online. Now, I downloaded it just quite sort of like innocently. I thought, oh, great, you know, we'll have a little go on this. And I loved it. I really, I was really keen on it. Uh, and then I thought to myself, well, hang on, he's the artist here. He's, you know, he's, he should get a little bit of credit. Definitely. So I've, lo- I've looked the chap up. I've looked, I've contacted him. Uh, and luckily, really nice fella, really nice fella. Um, but he, he does music for films, computer games, all sorts of stuff. And you can actually buy an album of his at his website, which is www.tristanlohengrin, spelt L-O-H-E-N-G-R-I-N.com. And you can buy an album of his sound effects of all his musical interludes and things like this. Um, really reasonable as well. So I contacted him and he got back to me and he's given us permission for free to use his uh, to use his lovely accordion improvisation. What a lovely chap, though. What an absolute yeah. diamond chap. And it makes the curve, doesn't it, that music? You know what I mean? To me, it's, it's part and parcel of it. Just a... It's the quintessential curve. You are absolutely right with that. Yeah, yeah. And I think what we're going to have now is, you see a lot of people think, oh, it's a lovely piece of music. I'm going to just put in a little piece of music here, but part of it nobody's heard yet. So I'll just put a little piece in here now. Oh, let's have a listen.
So there you are. That's a lovely little bit of the uh, the old uh, Tristan Lohengrin accordion improvisation, God, isn't it? It's ace hearing it full, though, isn't it? When you hear it yeah. full bit to it. What a talented, lovely chap. Yeah, lovely, lovely chap. You know, he's really good, and he's and we say good luck to him. And please go along, help us out by helping him out. Pop along to Tristan Lohengrin and have a little look at his uh, website and look him up, and maybe if you like it, buy a bit of his music. Help, help an artist out. Yeah. But he's also a very talented photographer now as well. Right. He's got into, uh, yeah. So he's got a variety of uh, irons in the fire there that, you know, his talents are he's spreading it out. So I'm really pleased for him. Yeah, definitely. But um, on another, uh, another point of a talented young man, um, we've got we've got a book here. Mm. We've been given. We've been sent a book to review. Oh no! And so we've been. Yeah, this is really nice. Let me just get this. I've got a lovely letter. I've got a lovely letter here, and this is from the uh, publisher. And it's uh, they're an independent publisher called Plastic Brain Press. <laughs> Good name. So they yeah. So they sent me. Uh, so they sent me this book here, um, and it's and I'll tell you what the book's about. It's it's a book of short stories, right? Mm. And it's by a uh, Whitby-based uh, writer called Gareth Spark. Oh, nice Whitby. Yeah, it's all it's all based in Whitby. Now, now I got this book through the press, and I thought to myself, you know, oh, well, you know, and it's, 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 a, it's a lovely little volume. Red, and it's got, like, uh, got a picture of a little little tent on the front. So, oh, you know, sweet, like a campfire yeah. stories sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But I have to say, when I opened it and started reading, um, brilliant writer. Really, really, almost poetic in his writing style. So, what sort uh, of stuff is it? You know, is it horror, mystery, or is it you know, is it true stories? What type of work is it? Well, I've I've only read a few. I've, I'm about three or four stories in at the moment, yeah. so I'll, I'll have to give a proper full review later. But what I did read to start with was one that you'll particularly like, uh, and it was actually a, it's called uh, it's called the Bear mm. is the first story, and it's only short. But We're not going back into woods and sex huts, are we? Here? Is it a proper no. bear or is it something like a term? <laughs> no, no. In fact, it's it, it's the the it's only like a page and a half long. Is this story? I won't read it out. Yeah, I won't yeah. spoil it to anyone. You, you know, pick up pick up a copy yourself. But it's um it's just a wonderful story about a bear that was apparently kept on a chain under a bridge in Whitby. Oh wow! Uh, oh, it yeah, sounds really so. interesting. Does this? I, lo- I tell you what, I love short you know books of short stories. You know, something you can dip into. Cause I, I love my bass. I'm like part aquatic or something. I can spend. Mate, it, when I finish this, yeah. you, I'm going to pass this on to you. You're going to get this in the bath, and I'm sure uh, Gareth Spark won't uh, won't mind you getting a getting a few pages soggy uh, in the best <laughs> in possible the, way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the so nice I'll way. give you the title of the book. The title of the book is "The Dark Earth of Albion" by Gareth Spark. And it's from Plastic Brain Press. Yeah, so I just want to say a little bit about Plastic Brain Press. Um, so you can you can see them. Uh, uh, let me just have a quick look over here. It's at um, so at Plastic Brain Press at gmail.com. and you can uh, you can look at, just look them up, Plastic Brain Press, and you'll find them. Um, and the people behind it are uh, Melody Clark. Um, she's fantastic. She's really good value for money on uh, Instagram. As is uh, Richard Daniels, the Plastic Richard Daniels. These are the two people who are behind um, Plastic Brain Press. Uh, and what I love about him is ind- ind- independent publishers giving young writers or new writers a chance and getting their books out there. I hold them in the highest regard. You know, they're, they're yeah. putting the putting money where the mouth is and they're getting books out there and helping uh, creative Absolutely. people to make things and I think they're brilliant. So that's um you'll you'll find the Melody Clark on Instagram like I say and uh, Richard Daniels is under the plastic Richard Daniels and they they have some fun shoots and they love everything weird too. So have a little look for those great artists, great writers in themselves as well. But you'll also find the writer of this book on Instagram as the Gareth Spark with glasses. 
So you have a little look for that and you'll find him. So that's that's another little good one. So yeah, The Dark Earth of Albion is out at the moment. Get yourself a copy and it's by Gareth Spark. Oh, so, I'm excited for this. You'll get it in that bookcase in bathroom straight afterwards. Uh, I certainly will, mate. Little, I love little independent, but you know, they're still making books and that in this digital age, which is fair to do the digital stuff, but you just can't beat a nice book, can you? Mate, I, I, I don't think I've, I've tried to read um, books on like a Kindle and online, can't Ooh, do it. I need to feel no, that paper between my yeah. thumb and finger. I need it there. Just the smell of a book, innit? You know what yeah. I mean? I'm quite into like my second hand books just because they smell different. You yeah. know what I mean? They're just nice. Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's um, so we. We also have um, uh, another book being sent to me. It's a used book, is this? It's called Supernatural North. True Ghost Stories by Darren W. Ritson. Now, this is Ooh. the thing I like about this book, right? Is it's obviously been loved and well read, and now it's been passed on to me. And it's been passed on by one of our listeners, uh, Ben Westerman. Um, absolutely top lad. Really nice guy. Uh, a, oh, a very, cheers, Ben. Yeah, and he's a very talented musician as well as Ben Westerman. Uh, he's a lead singer of a band called The Analog Bombs. And uh, and he's he Bradford based sort of like soundsters and uh, just big big hello to Ben for all his support as well with all the podcasts. He's, he's a good lad. He's not Benny. This is Ben Westerman. So um, <laughs> he's big... actually got talent as this lad by sound. <laughs> <laughs> he's got it in heaps. He's a lovely, lovely yeah. lad. And I'm going to dip into this book. So what we might have, I think, getting on towards October. What do you think of spooky special? Oh, please, mate. Yeah. Can you give me a year at book? Just uh, oh, you put it in your hands there. Just yeah, have a look at front. Yeah, let's have a little look here. I'm sure there's a date on it somewhere. Just give us a sec. Well, this Sorry, is, I just it's... need to know stuff like this. It's like, I love them kind of, you know, I won't say the older the better with them ghost books, if you yeah. ask me. Well, this, this is funny, this, because I, I find books like this a little bit uh, timeless. But this is, it's only published in 2009, but it's been well loved. Ah, right, yeah, it's so, well loved yeah, yeah so it's quite modern. Yeah, and it is, so, so that's another book to look out for. And as I said, a big, big thanks to uh, Ben Westerman for that. Yeah, okay. cheers, fella. Yeah. Can't beat the ghosties, though, can you? I love ghost stories, mate. Yeah, and like, you're right, October. I think we should have a full spooky month, if you ask me. Spooky month! Let's do that! Yeah. <laughs> Spooky month, that kid. Well, I've got a spooky tale for you. Oh, yeah. get in. We haven't had much spookies, have we? No, I like we this. Yeah. You're going to like this then if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're hungry for a bit of spooky. Now, the reason I've not got a name of a, a, a paper or a, a, a writer for this is that I've written it. Uh, a lot of this. Ah. I've taken some from some places and some from other, uh, and now uh, so it's, it's like a bit of a. I've done a bit of research. Let's put it that way, and I've formulated yeah, yeah. this one right. So this is the spooky tale of the A three ghost crash. Right. All right. A three. Where's that? Um. Do you know? Nick Cove. Or... Um. I'll just. I'll just find out. I think it's down Suffolk, where something. Surrey. It's right. in Surrey. That's where it is. Right. Cool. Yeah. Right. A yeah. three. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> I should know it says Surrey right in front of me here on bloody page. <laughs> <laughs> the strange tale of the A3 ghost crash has been an urban legend now in Surrey for nearly 18 years, right? So we're going back to uh, December the 11th, 2002, right? And mm-hmm. it was the day after the Surrey police press team's Christmas party. 
So they were hoping it's going to be a bit of a quiet one, you know what I mean? It's not going to yeah, be so Yeah, yeah, they're all hung yeah. over as you are, like, yeah. now. <laughs> but this wasn't to be, right? So a call came in to Surrey Police that a member of the public had reported seeing a car lose control and leave the A3 about 100 metres before the emergency slip road at Burpham with its headlights blazing, right? Wow. But when police officers went to investigate, they found no sign of the vehicle. Indeed, it appeared to have vanished, right? Jesus, it ain't down no cliff road, is it? You well, that's the thing. So what they did was they kind of came away and thought to themselves, no, we haven't seen anything. But they were actually sent back out. They said, no, you have to have another look. You have to check. Yeah. This is really important, you know. So a, a much, much deeper search was ordered, right, with chilling results. Just 20 yards from the reported crash scene and buried in twisted undergrowth was the remains of a wrecked car containing the skeleton of a man. Oh, shit. Its lights were off, the car's battery had long since died, and the body was badly decomposed. Surrey police said they believed the crash happened in July that year, and that the driver's body had lain undiscovered for five months. Oh, God. Motorists are now wondering what they saw might have been the ghostly apparition of the original crash on the Portsmouth to London Road at Burpham, near Guildford in Surrey. The driver has been identified as 21-year-old Christopher Brian Chandler, who was wanted for robbery and had been on the run from the Metropolitan Police since July the 16th that year. Oh, this is a right tale. Yeah. Shit. And that date was the last time anyone had seen him alive. Right. So the police spokesman said the family have been informed and confirmed that they reported him missing in July. But we do not know why he would be travelling in Surrey. So his identi- identity was established after checking the registration numbers on the e-registered maroon Vauxhall Astra. They eventually formally identified him using dental records. And Surrey police were called to the scene at 7.20 on the Wednesday before reports of the accident were phoned in. So what do you think of that then? Jesus, I tell you what... I- I like. I, I want him to be a complete skeleton rather than just like some bloated fucking corpse. You know. What I mean? well, <laughs> you know, when he, that's, when the... <laughs> that's what it will be. That's what it will be. It'll be five pretty, months. Yeah. Out. Well, five months through the summer. So it'll be through the summer Ooh, and then into autumn. Yeah. So you'll be a few warm days and things like this. You know what I mean? Oh, mate. Just you know when you look at. It, I love that bit. Like you know the ghost car. It's replicating that night again. In it, tires going everywhere, lights going everywhere. Then he's off, and then obviously gone. But that bit when you the deep search and then it's all twisted in some bush and I, just, I want a pure white skeleton, you know, it teases. You know, well, that's, just, that's I what you love. Want. Yeah, that's what you want in it. I mean, it, 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 I mean, oh, it's, a, it's a classic ghost story. So, and I think sometimes with these energies and with these, I mean, I'm not, I'm a skeptic really of these things. Uh, yeah, if yeah. somebody says, "Do you believe in ghosts?" I, I don't know. I've never seen one. I've no, obviously never seen evidence of one. But we don't know ourselves how. I mean, it's like us talking about the uh, the thin areas between the dimensions. Exactly. Who, who's to say that car crash actually happened in the, another dimension at Christmas rather than in the summer, and we were seeing yeah. that. Right. It? It's like it's like that old shining bit in it, you know. It's like just like pictures in a book, Danny. It's like burnt toast, you know. What I mean, but it, <laughs> <laughs> but it is like that in it with such deep emotion. You know that when you fuck up and you have that deep terror, like oh shit, yeah. You know the energy that you produce from it, and then if it's ending in your death, it is like a 
like a scar in it in that area. Yeah. And you know, right, time is what the hell is time, you know what I mean? But yeah. it's such deep emotions ending in death and that especially that bit where they, they haven't found that body, you know what I mean? He hasn't been laid to rest, he's just been forgotten about all yeah. bloody maggots all over him and all that. I'm kinda glad he's a scally as well, because if you were just like some innocent kid coming home from work at McDonald's or something, it'd be a really sad tale, yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't it? Be, wouldn't think, it yeah. Oh bugger. Think he was some robbing little chav out there. You think, well, <laughs> on the run, are we? Yeah, <laughs> that's looking, it. Yeah. You run off the road, sonny boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. Maybe he got what he, what he deserved, but you know, yeah. at the same time, at least his family can know that he's been found. You know, so maybe that's what he was. Maybe he's he's, he's contrite. Maybe he wants to sort of. Um, uh, it was him saying sorry from beyond the grave, so that everyone can God, put him to rest. But who knows? And I think it I love those ones though. You know, with the roads, there's quite a lot. You know, like in America, isn't there? like the hitchhiker and yeah. uh, Phantom. You know, there's one on the back of a motorbike, isn't there? That's really fair. Oh, is there? Yeah, you know, you keep feeling like a, a, a girl on the back of you, you know what right. I mean? This bit when you're driving on these certain roads and stuff like that. They just seem like, you know, it's connecting out the roads and, you know, they're connecting to the other world and stuff. Got another mystery for you here now. This is this is <laughs> keep this them is, coming. Yeah. This is a right episode. I love it. Go yeah, on. It's a, it's a, this is a strange one. Is this though? It's the dog suicide bridge. Why do so many? Fucking <laughs> 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 what? Why do so many pets keep leaping into a Scottish gorge? Right. Oh. This is by Silan Yeginsu. Uh, and this is the New York Post. Is this actually? So this is quite. Oh, right. I'm a big fan of the New York Post. It's a, it's a good good paper. So this is Dumbarton, Scotland. I was sure she was dead, Lottie McKinnon said quietly. Miss McKinnon was sitting huddled in the corner of a cafe with her two children, sipping hot chocolate as she described the day three years ago when she was walking her border collie, Bonnie, over the Overtoon Bridge in Dumbarton, Scotland. Something overcame Bonnie as soon as we approached the bridge, Miss McKinnon said. At first she froze. Then she became possessed by a strange energy and ran and jumped straight off the parapet. Oh, God. A bewitched dog lured to leap off a bridge by a malevolent force? It sounds like a preposterous scene straight from an old Twilight Zone episode. But Miss McKinnon's dog is one of hundreds that Scots insist have suddenly been compelled to throw themselves off the gothic stone structure since the 1950s. And many have ended up dead on the jagged rocks in the deep valley below. Uh, what happened to the rest of them? They're all just, like, howling at bottom. Oh, that is gross. <laughs> Seeing your dog all bust up at bottom of it. I know. Now, would you like to see a picture of the bridge? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, top right-hand oh, corner there. Oh, shit. Look how gothic and fuck that is. It's what good, is that, Matt? Yeah. That's, like, that's old, isn't it? It's like well, a castle. We'll have to read on to find I'm not sure how old it is. I'm guessing yeah, it's yeah. probably an old railway bridge by the looks of it. So I'm saying it's yeah. probably about mid... 1870s, something like that. It's a lot of turrety type feel to it, isn't it? Absolutely, there is, yeah. So, um, residents of Dunbarton, which is northwest of Glasgow, began calling Overtoon, a century old bridge that stretches across a 50 foot gorge, the Dog Suicide Bridge. Good grief. <laughs> like a doggy death cult or yeah. something, you know what I mean? 
Ms. McKinnon, who grew up in the neighbouring village of Milton, winced at the memory of the scurrying down the gorge, through the trees and the bushes, in a desperate hunt for Bonnie. But when she oh. approached the dog's body, Bonnie started to whimper and eventually tried to stand. Oh, Jesus Christ, man, yeah. that's harsh. It's harsh, isn't it? I mean, it's really bad, is that? Yeah, it was a miracle <laughs> that the dog survived, right? So, and in a land rife with superstitions, myths, and monsters, the bridge has been at the centre of an enduring mystery. Why do so many dogs jump? So, local researchers estimated that more than three hundred dogs have jumped off this bridge. Oh my God, that is bizarre! Three hundred. Yeah, and at least fifty are supposed to have died. So some say the rational explanation involving the terrain and the sense of animals in the gorge may be what's driving the dogs into a frenzy. So, for example, if there's like foxes and wild animals and deer and things like that, there might be something like it, like the winds blowing the scent up the way that it maybe because yeah. it's positioned on like funnels it into a. Well, this is it, and it might make it stronger by funneling it as well. So that's yeah, giving yeah. it more attractive to the dogs to sort of say have a bit of a leap, you know, but. Other explanations take a more paranormal tone. The bridge's location, hushed, lush, and sometimes still, fits the description of what the pagan Celts called a thin place, a mesmerising spot where heaven and earth overlap. Now, this is what I was saying before about a thin place. I've mentioned a thin place, and my my sort of take on a thin place is where they say heaven and hell Overlap, as we, yeah. me and you might say, this is where we believe the dimensions overlap, wow. don't they? Oh yeah, like so. You know, other people call it like high strangers, don't they, and all that sort of stuff. Like absolutely, of it. yeah. This is it. This is it. So it's like uh, wow. people in Dumbarton are very superstitious," said Alistair Dutton, a local taxi driver. We grew up playing in the Overton grounds, and we genuinely believe in ghosts here. Because we've all seen or felt spirits up here. Wow. It's absolutely mad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But despite all the all the attention about this uh, bridge, right, the mystery lives on unsolved. So from a distance, it seems as if the ornate Victorian bridge, built in 1895, is a mere extension of the driveway of an adjoining 19th century manor built in Dunbarton by a wealthy industrialist. So really what they're saying is it's just it's old, it's ancient land, privately owned and all this sort of stuff, but they've just not found a reason for it. So the, the, what they think is the dogs might catch the scent of a mink, pine martens, which are in the area, and other mm. mammals and stuff. So these are actually sort of musky creatures, mustelids as they call them. So it might be this scent just sends them wild and makes them jump. But I've also seen a TV programme on this, and there's also something odd about the terrain. Now, me and you might walk towards this bridge and think, oh, yeah, it's a bridge, is that, it's easier sort of thing. But mm. from a dog's eye level... That's it, what I was, this is where I was going to go. If it wasn't supernatural, I thought, does it look weird? Like, you know, like a perspective issue where they're thinking, God, that's a big meadow over there, you know what I mean, or something... Well, this is this is the thing they don't know that it is. It, I I think this, they've tried and they've looked, but a lot of people just do not know. So, in 2010, the animal behaviorist David Sands investigated the phenomena and ruled out the possibility that the animals were actually deliberately killing themselves. Which I think I, that's a given, isn't it? Really, I mean, yeah. bloody <laughs> you don't get many doggy suicides. Yeah, you've got to be a pretty shit owner for your dog to want to top yeah. itself, like, don't you? You go into the bathroom, it's cut its paws and that in the bath. Like, no, it keeps doing that. It's after attention. <laughs> So his experiments at the bridge found that dogs, especially long-nosed breeds, 
were drawn to the scent of mammals below. So Dr. Sam's theorised that the dog's limited perspective, their ignorance of the path changes from level ground to a bridge spanning a deep gorge, and the smells wafting through the air probably enticed the dogs to jump. But even he acknowledged that the bridge... Now, this is an animal behaviourist, right? So he's looking at scientific explanations. He even acknowledged that the bridge had a strange feeling. So some residents found his theory plausible, but many here still take the position that the leaps are inexplicable, and they question why the phenomena does not occur at the same rate at other bridges in Britain where mammals roam below. So, God, this is fascinating. I look, you know, just on a bit of an offshoot, you know, let's like say we go back to a kid crashing his car on the run and he, he's hidden for all them years, oh, all them months, won't he? Then, yeah. you know, it's replayed again and they found him. Um, let's say the person that, that were driving along and saw the ghost car rear off the road. You know, like you're like a sensitive mind, aren't you? you yeah. Know, maybe loads of people are driven along that road, but that particular person, that particular mood that day, caught the feeling of it and saw the accident replay itself then we go back to this bridge you know like some of you know a dog senses and it's i won't say low intelligence but it ain't got that you know that thinking mind like a human yeah it hasn't got that reasoning yeah 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 that kind of delicate thing that's he's picking something up or replaying or it's a fascinating case you know what what, what i love about it is it's truly unexplainable I mean, it's something that's physical, it's tangible, we can see the results. You can see a dog suddenly launch itself off a a bridge, which a dog shouldn't do. But at the same time, it's something that is beyond explanation for now. And yeah, just like that car, we don't explain it. I mean, the the evidence is there. People reported a car coming off the road. There was no car there that had come off the road, and then they found something that happened five months earlier. It's not just a coincidence. Yeah, yeah, you know, it is something strange and inexplainable, and that's what's so oh, wonderful about these things, you know. Man, but what, what a you know, for an animal, you know, self preservation is like number one in it, you know, without thinking, it's just instinct. But you know, to that many of them, what dark deeds has happened on that bridge? You well, know? All I'll say is, um, when you're approaching that bridge, people, if you're going across it, you got yourself your little puppy friend, pop him on a lead. Yeah, there should be signs, there, yeah. really. Oh, there you is. Know. There's warning signs now. There's warning signs on the bridge. So, I mean, that shows how bad it is. You know, get your dog on a lead, look after it, look after the pup. Otherwise, they'll be launching themselves off, and we don't want that. We could we could even do an experiment. You'll get a van full of dogs up there. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> 28 dogs, we just let go, man. Oh, nine have gone. Yeah, yeah. So far, only only one survived the fall. Oh, like a van full of dogs. I can't even joke about it, you know what I mean? It's too cruel. I love dogs. And it just that sight of seeing your own dog, it, the, oh, oh, it must that, be absolutely heart-wrenching. talk about like the car crash you can talk about the um the bridge you know and you can actually sort of think of it in terms of perhaps being cursed now what's your thoughts yeah. on being cursed i think to me it, there's a massive unexplained world out there you could either be that the curse works like it's that bit when you're, you're like a self 
self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, yes, right? no, I um, totally agree. You know, yeah. When you believe it, you know, even going down to a Ouija board, what we mentioned last week, that bit when you believe something enough, it's a very dangerous. Very powerful. Yeah, if you isn't believe it? curses upon you, I think you could either the curse could get you or you could get yourself with it. Yeah, you get these people who are pessimists and they'll turn around and say, "Oh well, uh, no good happens to me ever." You know what I mean? And then when something does happen to that, oh bloody hell, that's weird. That's a one off. That'll never happen again because good mm. things don't happen to me. They are they're the people who sort of I think they are cursed because they've cursed themselves. Yeah, but, yeah, hundred percent. But what we have here, we have a cursed town that is so oh, evil yeah. locals won't say its name. <laughs> what the people who live in it won't even say like where you're yeah. from, not selling you. <laughs> like, no, it. I need to post that parcel. Well, I'm not gonna tell you. <laughs> so this is this is from uh, the Daily Mirror and it's by Jane Lavender, the assistant editor. So Nestled in the southern hills of Italy, Colabraro looks like the picture-perfect quaint village. But this stunning town hides a disturbing secret, so terrifying, locals will never utter the name of the place they live in. Colabraro is said to be cursed, with horrifying examples of ill-fortune and bad luck befalling those within its walls. The legend of the curse dates back to the 1940s, when the then mayor of Colabraro, Biagio Virgilio, is said to have proclaimed at a town meeting that, May this chandelier fall down if I am not telling the truth. And seconds later, the huge chandelier above his head crashed to the ground. And since then, <laughs> locals have believed he has put a chilling hex on their hometown. So... Ever since, villagers have believed in the curse, and since that fateful day, a number of unexplained tragedies have befallen those affected. So fiercely do locals fear the curse, they refuse to ever describe the town by its name, and insist on referring it only as the village with no name. Oh, cool. He's mad, isn't it, that? I see. It's the whole town believes it. When did Chandelier crash, sorry? 1940. Nineteen forty, and they're still, you know, all them years later, still at it. Well, seventy years right. later, we're all sort of thing, you know. But it's, just, yeah. it's and, and the village's infamy has spread far and wide. One local admits that when he was in a restaurant in a nearby city, people moved away from him when they realised he was from Colabraro. What? So the the village's name itself is said to have a horrifying origin. It comes from the word Coluba, which means snakes. And some locals say it is a place where evil presences live. Wow. So not only that, but Colabraro has long been rumoured to be the ancient home of maschiare, or powerful women who work their magic using spells, the evil eye, and curses. So they're, oh, often, yeah, so they're <laughs> often treated as healers, with their neighbours going to them when they had certain symptoms like a headache and asking them to lift the curse. So mm. some of them could work the cures, which further spread rumours about the dark magic and powers. And they used a mix of salt, coal and water, and would rub it on the affected person's forehead before throwing the contaminated water on a crossroads. Wow, so, crossroads. Yeah, and the next person said to walk across the crossroads was then believed to be infected by the curse. Oh, so nice. So, yeah, that's kind of a minute, you know. <laughs> Keeps them in a job, though. Yeah. Well, while the Maschiari is said to no longer exist or live in the village, many fear their power is still present. Oh. So what do you think of that? 
Ah, oh, it's just ace. Although, you know, again, crossroads, they always crop up, don't they, in yeah. some dark tales, you know what I mean? They're a very powerful place. Yeah. Um, and again, it's that 50-50 split, isn't it? Are they believing it so much that it's become a reality, or is there something really dark? And he, he got a look at it, you think, well, there's rumours of these strong women, you know, basically what we'd call, like, a bit witchy, wouldn't we? Yeah, or a we wise would, yeah, woman yeah. or something. Um, and we've gone to them for years, haven't we? You know, back in the day, I suppose, before um, they started burning them all. Yeah, well, that. this is it. They were an know? important part of our society, weren't they? You know, we needed those old skills and those old medicines. Well, and... I, think, I think a lot of these, I thought all these towns did, and of course a lot of people then, before the medicines, people believed it. And it says here, yeah. and it's only a few brave souls who will talk about these women in Calabro, and even less so when there is no sunlight shining down on the village. So there's also a strange thing about happening to those in the village, which seems to be impossible to be explained by magic or medicine. There are reports of babies being born with two hearts or three lungs. Freakish landslides occur there, and bizarre car accidents are also said to plague Colabraro, but the curse doesn't affect everyone. Only visitors to the village are believed to be prone to suffering the terrible consequences of Colabraro's bad luck. And that's what makes it's like the cursed village. So you go visit yeah, yeah. and you'll come away and, you know, for example, you could have a baby and it's got bloody three lungs. Oh, that's awful, isn't it? But so many different things. And the chandelier, yeah. you know what I mean? It's summing up to something a bit evil, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So it's like um, local Eleanor Di Napoli said... Of course, considering my ancestry, I'm immune to the jinx. These spooky things only happen to people who come for, come here for the first time in their lives and who believe in the omen, right? Mm-hmm. So the others dismiss the curse as nothing but hocus-pocus nonsense and insist the chandelier fell at Biagio Virgilio's words because it was badly fitted. So they're just saying shoddy workmanship there. It's not a curse. <laughs> yeah, no, a bit of sans law on it. Yeah, so... <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, that's what it comes down to. You know, it could be sort of, uh, it, it could be just down to sort of like a bit of bad workmanship. I mean, Italians sometimes they were great at making cars, aren't they? Mm. And they were great with the food. But I'm not sure what they like for the internal fittings and things like this. I don't know really. <laughs> and plus, it might be you know that bit of like, oh, only visitors who come to our gift shop and buy this certain thing. You know, it might be just a bit of a money making scheme. Well, like, it's funny you, know you should I mean? say that. He says, however, the curse doesn't stop the residents of Calabraro capitalising on the rumours rumors of it. Every yeah, year yeah. they hold a street show to celebrate their hometown's spooky history. And in August, visitors flock to Calabraro to see the show featuring witches, the maschiari, and werewolves. Oh, right, they're proper cashing in here. It's like yeah. Universal film and Frankenstein. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> it's like they've got it all, haven't they? Well, the you think about it as well, right? Um, you know, would you go and feel safe if you went to a I'd, I'd give it a go. Some nice Italian food and that and some spooky tales. Well, the thing I'd is give is, that yeah. away. Well, the thing is, you see, oh, just to be on the safe side, everyone who doesn't call Colabraro home is given a special amulet to protect themselves from the curse. Which How much? Am- exactly. You said it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to believe. I do. Yeah. Well, I think it'd be a lot of fun. I mean, the good thing is here, because we love a bit of spooky October, don't we? But yeah. They've got yeah. spooky August. So some yeah. holidays you could almost have the whole feel of um, uh, uh, Halloween 
They're in yeah, an Italian village and you need flip-flops and shorts. Well, I've got to say, nice weather for it. And plus, once you go, if you're thinking, right, this is a proper spooky place, it's something's going to happen because I'm an outsider. Anything from stubbing your toe or any kind of mild accident, you'd be like, oh, the ghosties, it's real. And then you go tell everybody else, oh, you know, it's always a good tale when you get back to work on a Monday, innit? You know what I mean? Of course saying, it is. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, I saw something, I definitely believe. And it's just, they've, you know, they've got a nice um, tourist kind of town, aren't they, really? Well, this is it, you know, I think that's that's absolutely true, but um, I think one thing we do know is we know where we're going on our holidays next year, don't we? (laughs) Golden Great Storm I never will play the wild rover no more And it's no, nay, never No, nay, never, no more Will I play as far as we know with Colabraro, we don't know if it's a bit of chicanery, we don't know if they're making it up a bit, we don't know if it's truth, do we? You know, it's, yeah, we, I'm, it's I'm, a bit of everything really, it could be. Well we've got we've got a we've got a guy caught out here now with the next story. We've got a man who has been telling some porky pies. Right. <laughs> so the French serial killer expert admits serial lies, including the murder of an imaginary wife. Right. So this is from Alison Flood from The Guardian. So an online investigation has exposed a French author, Stéphane Bougoin, or Bougoin, whichever one, whose books about serial killers have sold millions of copies in France. It's exposed him as a serial liar. Burgoyne is the author of more than 40 books and is widely viewed as a leading expert on murderers, having hosted a number of French television documentaries on the subject. He is claimed to have interviewed more than 70 serial killers, trained at the FBI's base in Quantico, Virginia, and that his own wife was murdered in 1976 by a man who confessed to a dozen murders on his arrest two years later. But in January, anonymous collective The for M. Uil Corporation, accused him of lying about his past. And Bourgoyne mm-hmm. has now admitted to the French press that the wife never existed. <laughs> what? God, has he just bounced his career off that last time? Yeah. He also acknowledged that he has never trained with the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> and he's never had a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> And he reckons he has never, and he has admitted he's never interviewed Charles Manson like he said he did. He's, he's met far fewer killers than he has previously claimed, and he has never worked as a professional footballer. Another claim oh. he has made. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a spaceman. <laughs> Steady. Well, I got a three Steady. foot dick. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want a little look at this fibber? Yeah, let me see him. Yeah, he's down there. You can see him looking like part in his glasses. Oh, with jaunty angle on him. Yeah, he thinks he's ace, doesn't he? He looks like a young Christopher Biggins, if you ask me. (laughs) I might call him Biggins from now on. Yeah. Oh, he's fucking... So when they interviewed him, he said, My lies have weighed me down. He told Paris Match last week. Yeah, like your wallet. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) He says, I have arrived at the balance sheet of time. So, so in a wide-ranging interview with La Parisienne on Tuesday, he went further, describing himself as a mythomaniac, 
And Mr. Romania. Which is a liar. Just a bullshit. Yeah, yeah. He says, I completely admit my faults. I am ashamed I have lied. To have concealed things. So, the wife he said was murdered never existed, (laughs) he admitted, saying that she was drawn from a young woman called Susan Bickrest, who he briefly met in a Florida bar. In 1975, 24-year-old Bickrest was murdered by the serial killer Gerald Stano, or Stano, who later admitted to killing 41 women. Bloody hell, I've never even heard of him. (laughs) Yeah, and he was executed in 1998. So Burgoyne told Le Parisien... It was bullshit that I took on. <laughs> I'm quite liking him now. Yeah. All of how honest he is, you know. I, I do mean? as well. I'm, I'm he's flipping it. it. Yeah, he's he's flipping totally it. flipping it over. Yeah. I didn't want people to know the real identity of someone who was not my partner, but someone who I had met five or six times in Daytona Beach and who I liked. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't get anywhere with her, but you like. Yeah, he never got it. So, Burgoyne told Le Figaro that he felt he needed psychological counselling and that all oh, these lies are absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> because <laughs> if we objectively take stock of my work, I think it was enough in itself. He said he exaggerated and lied about his life because he had always felt he was not really loved. Oh, bless him. Yeah. And he says, <laughs> I am profoundly and sincerely sorry. I am ashamed of what I did. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> He's won me over, Arkin. He's totally won me over. I'm changing my tune with this and I like it. I might reach out. <laughs> I love you. Yeah. Don't worry, Biggins. Yeah, come and tell some <laughs> lies about dead women yeah. and serial killers. <laughs> yeah. I bet he's good at a party, isn't he? Just totally fabricating it up. Oh, you can be seen there smoking a fag and drinking sort of like a nice little pastis. And he's you, know, you will never know <laughs> what I have seen with these eyes. <laughs> Imagine now it's getting a little bit late at Cove, and I, I'll have to admit to you, kid, I'm a little bit sleepy. <laughs> I think you need to go back to bed. Oh. Let me get a few of these bottles out of that. You oh. took back up, and I'll get, wake you up. Get later them in recycling. Some... And tell you what, yeah. because of this, when I, when I get up, I'll, I'll cook, cook you a nice proper tea. I'll get your shepherd's pie on. Go, how about that? Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah, yeah like because you know we all we all like. I mean, nothing makes you happier than a bit of food, is there? You know. Oh man, I need it. Yeah, yeah, what? a bit of brown sauce and that. Can have cheese on top. Oh, you can have anything you want because you've been good. To, you looked after us, our kid, and you've been a busy yeah. boy. But I will tell you something. I will tell you someone else who uh, who likes the dinners and stuff, right? It's wild gorillas. They like the dinners, right? Do they like the scram? They like the scram. Do you know how they'll know that they like it, right? It's because this is this is a story from the New Scientist by Brian Owens, and it's wild gorillas compose happy songs. That they hum oh. during meals. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. It's just the best, isn't it? <laughs> what a cute end this is. Yeah. Come on, tell me about yeah. it. Gorillas sing and hum when eating. A discovery <laughs> that could help shed light on how language evolved in early humans. 
Singing seems to be a way for gorillas to express contentment with their meal, as well as for the head of the family to communicate to others that it is dinner time. (laughs) And it's yummy. Yeah, so food-related calls have been documented in many animals, including chimpanzees and bonobos. But aside from the anecdotal reports from zoos, there was no evidence of it in gorillas. To see if they make these noises in the wild, Eva Luth, a primatologist at the Max Planck Institute of Ornithology in Seewiesen in Germany, observed two groups of wild western lowland gorillas in the Republic of the Congo. Luth identified two different types of sounds that the gorillas sometimes made when eating. One of them was humming, a steady, low-frequency tone that sounds a bit like sighs of contentment, right? The other was singing, a series of short, differently-pitched notes that sound a bit like someone humming a random melody. Oh! Yeah! <laughs> Beautiful imagery. I'm thinking really opera now, you know what yeah. I mean? It's like it's gorillas. <laughs> so they don't sing the same song over and over, says Luth. It seems that they are composing their little food songs. <laughs> Ali Valley Irving, who looks after gorillas in the Toronto Zoo in Canada, says humming and singing is a frequent part of mealtimes there. Each gorilla has its own voice. You can really tell who's singing, she says. <laughs> and if it's their favourite food, they sing louder. Right? Wow. I want to start a band with these, dude. I want to hit the road and never come back. There's a lot of singing gorillas. But although every individual in the zoo sings for its supper, Luf found that in the wild it was generally only dominant silverback males that sang and hummed while eating. And this suggests that as well as possible signalling contentment or pleasure with the food, a sort of gorilla version of om nom nom nom, (laughs) the activity might be the silverback's way of informing the group that mealtime is continuing and it is not yet time to move on. He's the one making the collective decision for the group, Luth says, and we think he's used his vocalisation to inform the others that it's okay, now we're eating. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I what do gorillas eat then? They're veggie, aren't they? Yeah, so it's leaves, shoots, um, lots of like uh, some twigs and branches and stuff, but mainly juicy stuff, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's going to yeah. be things like it that. Must take some filling, the, the big ones, aren't they? You yeah, know what I mean? must be a lot a... of time eating. Well, actually, the, the food they eat is, is quite often of a low nutritional value, and that's why they have to spend so much time sort of like grazing for food. You know, it takes yeah, a long yeah. time, you know. And then I suppose in... that it becomes a massive ritual. Like you say, the eating, you know what I mean? They'll they'll need to um, communicate, and you can see why it happens with the singing cats. It's such a big part of their life, yeah. It has to be such a huge part of their life, and as as a result, you know, their whole lives is dominated either by eating or sleeping. Um, yeah. Then you know, obviously, that's perhaps where their civilization goes, and it shows that's same as us, isn't it? You know, we, we yeah. spend so much time either thinking about food or we have three meal times a day, uh, and while we're doing it, I like a bit of music on, I like a bit of a sing song, I like a bit of a dance around yeah, the kitchen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe that's what the gorillas are just doing, they're having a bit of a dance around yeah. their version of a dance around the kitchen. <laughs> oh, little furry tummies and that singing their songs. I, <laughs> oh, I, I like it too. But do you know the weird thing is now? 
Um, it, it's given me an appetite, and I don't feel so bad anymore. I could have another little. Yeah, right. Yeah. You sure? I think you I don't look as pasty. No, I think I've... that fresh air's done you good, and casting out and telling your tales. I think that's done you done you proud. Well, get shepherd's pie on early then. I, well, that's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to I'm going to put the shepherd's pie on right, and mm. and uh, going to get you a little treat, get you sorted out, and I think we're going to be all right now, aren't we? So you, you can nice. get your feet up. You go get your feet up, and I'll get. Oh, well, cooking. I'll bring bottles down first to recycle. You, I'll meet you in the kitchen in five. Yeah. So all that's left for us to do now is say goodbye from Kraken Cove. So see you all later, folks. That's from me, Yeah, and from Benny. Yep. yep. Take care, because Benny cares. <laughs> see you later. <laughs> see you, bye. <laughs> Instagram at Kraken Cove Pod. Ha ha!